Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and I'm with the GB today. George, what's up? What's going on, Mike? How are you? I'm good. It's How you feeling? Another beautiful day in Prescott. I feel great. Um, yeah. Started working out again. Uh, yep. I can't. I just, you know, it feels much better. I've been sleeping until I think I woke up today at 6.30, so. You're on that hormone replacement therapy. Yes, I am. Like me. From BioStation. Um, your levels, like you, you were a preteen female when <laughs> they did your levels. <laughs> I mean, I was below the lowest. So what does that even mean? They I can't even know. scale that low when you were below that. Yeah. She said that, you know, my, I haven't been producing hormones for probably a year. My adrenal glands and the cortisol was not, it just, everything was out of whack. And, uh, so now, I mean, my stress levels are all way lower. Uh, I've just been feeling great. You seem like you're better. Like you're, uh, you're not as red as you, you're usually purple. Yeah, and you're just like calmer. Yeah, I feel that way too, man. So it's good. I love it. I feel real good. What's weird is like there's not fog for me in the morning. Exactly. I wake up and I'm ready to go. Yeah, my my uh, testosterone was kind of normal, but it, my estrogen was through the roof. Mm. And it's like I was lactating. My <laughs> boobs were lactating, man. Cried all the time. I was crying every movie. <laughs> like I watched uh, Full Metal Jacket, and I was just like, man, all teary-eyed. But no, man, if you're seriously thinking about uh, looking at uh, you know, hormone replacement therapy, the first step in that process, one is just email us. Email us at info at fieldcraftsurvival.com, and we'll point you in the right direction. But I think the start point is getting your blood work through a reputable company. We, we did a lot of homework. We work with a place called BioStation. We could point you to the uh, one of the head dudes that kind of manages things, and they'll set you up for success, man. I think the deficiencies that we've identified in fixing your blood levels and your chemical or your chemistry is a, the way to do it the right way. So many people go off of uh, kind of like these vague concepts, and they don't focus on the science of it. Yep. And they I'm just like see that. what they see in the magazines, and yeah, that's it. They They're like, like, "I'm going to get jacked like that dude." Yeah. Like, well, like, if you want a lot get, more to it than that. Yeah, that dude's on 800 mils of tests. So if you want to yeah. get jacked like that, <laughs> it starts with steroids. Um, but yeah, I feel great, man. I feel great. Vitamin D, just as a, just as a natural supplement, um, my, my I'm deficient in it. So just even taking a multivitamin, just basic stuff. Uh, we've been going to the gym and stuff, and getting more into combatives, and mm-hmm. just I feel a lot better. So yeah. I like it, man. Also, hey, if this this podcast is sponsored, it's brought to you by a company called Uncana. If you're interested in CBD, look, I push CBD, cannabis um, without the THC. Uh, CBD has a whole bunch of holistic benefits that are proven, uh, whether it's relieving anxiety, helping with sleep. Um, there's a whole bunch of benefits in CBD in its various forms, whether that's vaping it, whether that's the oil, they even have the salve, which is a, a topical ointment. That is my shit right there, the it, salve. It do is, you like I that? love it, man. Like, that's when I got my lower back and then shoulder and then elbows. I rub it in, man. It's like a like an icy hot type, you know, you know, you rub it in and it just feels good. I, I like the the oil, um, uh, the CBD oil in the, uh, the dropper. I do that yeah. before I go to bed or the pills. The pills are good too because you could take uh, two pills and you figure out your tolerances. You don't really o- you can't OD on uh, CBD, but you could basically time it, and it helps me get through a night's sleep. I'm a big fan of it. Uncana.com. Uh, you could actually use the coupon code Philcraft to save on checkout. What's the discount on that? It's ten percent. Ten percent off. That's a big deal. Um, also, this uh, podcast is sponsored by Triarch. Triarchsystems dot 
Triarch.com, and that's T-R-I-A-R-C, systems.com. We work with Triarch, good dudes out of Texas. Great guys. James and the crew over there have been treating us well, and just a stand-up company, I mean, in Texas, so you know they're, they're bringing good quality firearms, and just the service is amazing. Yeah, great company. They know what they're doing, building custom pistols, rifles, carbines, everything you need. And my whole thing is if you're going to invest in a firearm, especially for self-defense, get the right one the first time. We've worked with a lot of people, and there's not many companies that could build the utility, function, durability, but also make it look good. They do it really well. So use uh, Philcraft2 on TriArtSystems.com and save 5% on checkout. So let's kick it off, man. We're talking about international travel, man. International travel. We've been asked several times. I even got asked when I was in Miami, Florida, teaching and we have a lot of international travel experience. Mm-hmm. And so last time that we talked about it, uh, Phil Craft as a whole, it was kind of like vague. We didn't really give specifics. So on this podcast, we're going to concentrate on narrowing it down and giving you step-by-step, list-by-list, the things that you need to think about and do uh, and carry when you're doing uh, international travel. So... You you have a lot of significant experience with international travel. Your, I do. Your, your career set is a little different than mine, and you have the opportunity to travel to a lot of places. One of those places being Ukraine, which uh, prior to the Russian incursion in Ukraine, it was known as a pretty permissive environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you look at a society that's permissive, and it's all nice, and there's nice neighborhoods, good people, and there's an incursion, and the next thing you know, it's... Uh, it's like something out of like um, if you play video games back in the day, like Call of Duty. I remember arriving when I flew and we flew in at night and we drove from the airport to Kiev. We, I was in Kiev the whole time, and it was during the, uh, the revolution they had. And then uh, you turn a corner and there's like sandbags, like burned out fire trucks, tents, like tent. It was like a tent city on the main road. It was like, where am I? And the next morning we got and look at it. And it's just like. It's like organized chaos, you know what I mean? Like every little section of the country came in and put their own little, their tent up. They had their flag up for each of the regions, and it was just like, wow, this is pretty amazing. Well, I saw the, you know, I mean, there's a lot of videos on social media and YouTube and everything else showing what's going on, but like grandmas going grocery shopping are getting smoked by mortar rounds in the middle of the town. Oh, yeah, it was crazy. Just crazy stuff. And they're just shooting on their own people, and it was just not, they killed, I think, like it was a handful of people during the uh, the protests and all that stuff. Like their own government was killing their own people. Like during the protests, mm-hmm. it was crazy. It's an unfortunate situation, but there's a lot of lessons learned that you learned because you lived there for what six months. Six months, yeah. That's a long time. And you, so operating uh, in that environment, you had uh, you were wearing civilian clothes, mm-hmm. and you kind of like doing your thing. You had an apartment there, right? Yeah, you, we had. It was like a hotel, but it was like more of an apartment. Like you walk in, you had your bedroom separated and you had your your living area kitchenette then you had a you know your own bathroom so it was just like a little apartment it was pretty cool um and you were there on official military yeah we were there we were working uh at the um, embassy every day so it was you know suit and tie or or business casual so you're leaving you're getting up in the morning and then the routine is you know you you get up you call the cab and you take the cab down up, up to the embassy and then you start work or you take the train in uh it was like four stops and then you were there at the uh embassy well you had to walk through a um like a park and then and then you'd be at the embassy so which was very interesting walking through the park at night because there was just there's it was very dimly lit 
and there were people all around and like there was I never had a confrontation but it was something you had to like keep a you know your head on a swivel like just case you heard something yeah was there any targeting of Americans there or was it pretty friendly because I, I imagine that they want to keep you know Americans in the good graces because they're an ally there or at least assisting them you would have in certain case, in certain cases what we heard from um, some of the uh some of the embassy personnel was like, you'll have some people may, they may follow you because they'll see like a new face or something. Mm-hmm. But there was never, no one, there was no contact with anybody. No one ever approached me for information or asked me what I was doing. I mean, if you're out and about and people, you hear that you're ain't, you know, you're an American, they're going to say, Oh, so what are you doing here? And you tell me I'm working at the embassy. I work in, um, in public affairs for the embassy, which was, wasn't a lie. So mm-hmm. everything like there was not really, we never really had a lot of, contact with anybody just little just little petty stuff that would happen we and we were warned about it like there was one time i was we just got back from the gym and uh i wanted to grab some food and as i was walking back this guy in front of me dropped like a like a money like a like a money clip with money in it and it and i knew what like after the after i saw it i picked it up i was like ah oh, damn it why did i pick this up but i picked it up because i was you know hey hey sir you dropped your wallet, you know. I said, "Hey, hey, excuse me, right here." So he picked it up and uh, and I gave it to him. And I was like, and "He said," and I was like, "Okay, well, have, have a good day." And I'm walking around the corner. He goes, "Hey, excuse me, I had uh, uh, so much money in here, and, and some of it's missing." I was like, "I was like, dude, I I picked it up, literally just picked it up and gave it to you. So there's nothing missing. So I'll talk to you later. Bye. Get get out of my face." And then uh, then all of a sudden. <laughs> He says, and then all of a sudden this guy comes out of like, I don't know. He came out of like a, another little restaurant area and he had this like badge. And I said, oh my God. I said, what do you want, man? I said, I don't have anything. Get away from me right now. And I just stopped and squared up on him. And they both looked at me like, oh. And I was like, I'm not giving you nothing. So get away from me. And I was like right next to my uh, apartment building. So I just went right in. But they just stood there like dumbfounded because I didn't give them anything. <laughs> I was like, so it's a scam, right? Yeah, They're it's always a scam. And like, I'm 6'3". I was like 6'3", 250 at the time. I'm like, you're going to have to like kill me before I give you anything. I know. Like, I will right. fight you to the death. So Well, that's, you know, that's typical of what you would see in a foreign country of uh, – you know, everybody's running schemes, man. Oh, no yeah. matter what country you go to internationally, there's always a form of the scheme. And the unfortunate thing is, as foreigners in a foreign country, you are the main target of uh, the brunt of most of those schemes. Because oh, yeah. they know that there's a uh, exploitation. Um, and there's, a, there's an ability to exploit you because there's a gap in communication, cultural understanding, mm-hmm. etc. And so it's very... Um, uh, easy for them to target you, and they've done it. If they did it to you, they, oh, how many they, people they, did were they successful? All the time. Yeah, because I saw the same guy. Like, I mean, I was there for six months, and I saw that that guy like numerous <laughs> times after that. And I just looked at him like, uh, and just pointed my finger with a like, shame, shame on, on you. you. Oh man! But I, it's like you know, but it's if you look at you know, for being in the military, you before we go on any mission or deployment, you sit down and you get a counter intelligence brief about, you know, stuff in the country that you need to look out for. So, you know, being in the military, you, you kind of, you, you know what to look out for, you know, you're not going to get scammed and this and that. And if, and if it does happen, you know, just walk away. But for like the, the regular traveler, you're not going to, you're not going to know, you're going to see a guy with a badge come out and you're going to get scared because you're thinking that you're in trouble with the police. 
when it's a just a fake ass dude trying to get money from you, and that's all it is. So that's so funny, man. You know, tip well, number one: don't get scammed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we, you know, the thing is too is is if you were, you know, if you weren't how big you were, and oh, you, yeah. you didn't stand out to them, who who knows what intimidation level they would have used? Right. I mean, uh, foreign countries like that, some of those people get desperate, and then it's ego, right? So mm-hmm. they they can't. They're trying to prove to themselves or to their peers, and then something happens where they get called out. I mean, they're they're liable to stab you. They're liable yep. to do some damage to you, and it's just uh, it's a it's a scary thing about foreign travel. But yeah, so let me let me start off this conversation because I want to line out some of the things to understand um, how foreign countries operate. One thing you have to understand is every foreign country, no matter what, I mean, even the even Kazakhstan. I mean, the, the countries that literally uh, economically have no influence in the world economy have have some kind of foreign intelligence service. That's how these countries operate. And so what that means is they all have their spy services. They all have the guys on the ground who are collecting information. And the best way to collect information is from foreign people coming into their country. So... Remember that that this is what we call in this environment the the way at least the special operations aspect is called a counterintelligence environment or CI environment. And one of the things that we were taught going into these foreign countries is that n- nobody's necessarily going to try to harm you or kill you. More importantly for them is the long game, right? They're looking at it as like a marathon and they want to be able to exploit as much information as possible. Some of this exploitation includes Tracking your movements, technological exploitation, so hacking into your Wi-Fi, hacking into your computer. Some of this includes uh, leaving stay-behind devices in your hotel room, which include cameras, audio devices, tracking your movement, so tracking your pattern of life, seeing what your behaviors are, because maybe... You know, remember, it's not all about it's not all about spy games. So it doesn't have to be nefarious. It could be uh, literally like what Google does to you, where they try to track your information for marketing analysis to be able to exploit you at a further date. So it doesn't have to necessarily be nefarious. What it could be is they want to understand your patterns of movement to to complement uh, their marketing or the way that they exploit you in their country to make more money for their country. And this is this is deliberate processes that every country utilizes and leverages. So they might have a head of commerce that's tied to a, uh, an, an intelligence service that might track your movement and just see what you're up to. And, it, and they don't have to look at you and think that you're a spy in their country or that you're doing something that's uh, potentially compromising their information or their intelligence. They could be simply trying to collect data points in order to improve their situation. So that's important to understand because the hotels that you go into, um, the the taxi cabs that you get into, the natural confrontations or um, uh, situations that you think or no- are normal. Like, hey, a guy might come up to you and say, hey, wh- wh- where are you from? And it's a simple Q&A session. That could be a counterintelligence foreign service operator that's collecting information to exploit you. Because it could start out like they come up to you and they say, hey, this is how we initially assess. They come up to you and say, hey, I'm going to ask you five questions. And those five questions will determine whether or not you're going to get a second layer of counterintelligence, uh, a more deliberate look. They might say, where are you from? 
And if you say America, well, then that just puts you in another bracket, right? Um, what are you doing here? Well, I'm here because I'm here at an expo that uh, we're doing a, a, technolo a technology expo on cybersecurity. Well, that just puts you in another bracket. Uh, how long are you here for? I'm here for an extended period of time, which means they have the uh, more deliberate ability to track your movement and so on and so forth. So remember, you have to pay attention to all of these things that are happening in counterintelligence. The second component to this is what's called counterterrorism. Now, there are a lot of countries that are assessing whether or not you are a direct threat to their national security. And each com uh, country varies in what they assess to be their uh, uh, counter threat priorities or national security priorities. Like if you go into Egypt and you're a foreigner and traveling to that country, they're, they're not necessarily going to look at you potentially as a counterterrorism threat, but maybe it's a counterintelligence uh, counter threat, not a counterterrorism threat. But if you go into a country like Turkey, they might uh, look at you and go, hey, this person's here but for potentially nefarious reasons, and we're going to track this person because they might potentially compromise. They might look at you and think you're a spy for another country. And so they're assessing whether or not you could be a spy for their country or you're there to do harm or to do some offensive kind of operation. That's why there's several countries that me and George right now could never go to. I mean, uh, remember, a lot of these countries start their process to deliberately track who you are and, and categorize you based on facial recognition, recognition, your biometrics, and the, the passport process of how you infiltrate into their country. I mean, it's very easy, right? You go to a desk and you say, or you get your visa even. It starts at the embassy level. You get a visa, they start tracking you at that foreign country's embassy station waiting for you to arrive. They've already deliberately assigned people to you before you even arrive. And then you arrive at the desk. When I was in Yemen, I had to put my thumbprint onto a, a biometrics station as a government contractor. And I'm not there for nefarious reasons. I'm simply there as a contractor. But now I know that every time I go to Yemen, which I would fucking never go to Yemen, um, that when I, if I go to Yemen, they're going to track that and then tie it back to government affiliation. So I couldn't go there as a tourist because they, they would immediately identify me as working for the government. And they would probably, number one, probably pull me into secondary and start questioning me or start following me and tracking my movement. And I could be there, you know, hey, I want to go uh, see the mountains near Sana'a, near the capital of Yemen, which are beautiful. Um, but they would immediately pinpoint me or pigeonhole me and uh, start assessing me. So you fall into a category no matter how much you like it or not. Now, depending on the country, depending on the influx of tourism and people, they could immediately categorize you, but they could lose you in the melee or in the uh, confusion because... Uh, you take a place like Italy or like Rome, Italy, um, there's tens of thousands of people who come into that country uh, every single week that they can't keep track of. So it's, 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 it's hard. But I will tell you that as an American in most of these countries, you are on their top priority list for collecting information and uh, intelligence that helps those countries out. Now, now, George, I know you've operated in several countries. Me and you, in fact, have operated in Libya together. We did six months. After that six-month trip, I did a few more months in that country. 
And we would c- categorize that as um, being a semi-permissive environment. Uh, can you explain the differences in non-permissive versus permissive and semi-permissive? So non-permissive is basically you're not you're not traveling there, you're not going sightseeing there, you're you're not getting a uh, basically you're not getting a uh, your your visa from the embassy to go into that country because before you go into any country or international travel, you know you, you have to get a visa a, a stamp for your pass or like the okay you can pass you can go here as long as you have your your passport and then you're gonna you're gonna contact that U.S. embassy within that country to to make sure that everything's safe and you can go go there. Semi-permissive, um, basically, from what I remember, is you can go to the country, but it's going to be on your own. Um, you, you're going to take that risk to go into that country and, and travel through that country to whatever business you have to do there. Um, and then permissive, obviously, is, you know, we're, we're free to go to that country. We're going to, you know, obviously contact the embassy and make sure everything's good to go before you, you travel and... Uh, and then you're allowed to go to that country to whatever it is, sightseeing, tourism, uh, any business you're going to take care of there. I mean, that's pretty much the gist of just a quick overview of that. We'll get more as, we go, as the podcast goes along. But <clears throat> as for, you know, the non-permissive, that's kind of – I look at it in my my mind is like Iraq, Afghanistan. It's a war you know, zone. It's a right? war zone. Yeah. It's, it's something – there's a conflict going on in that country where it's not safe for any – U.S. citizen to go into unless, you know, you're a part of a program that uh, that's going to provide aid there, like USAID or some kind of, you know, if you're with a church or a mission or something like that, you can go there through, uh, you know, but you're kind of protected underneath that different... Uh, non-government organizations. Yeah, non-government NGO. organizations, NGOs, exactly. And then with that semi-permissive, it's kind of, it's just the risk involved and in, in when you want to travel there. Because I know that you can you can go like travel to Libya. I think you can, but it's gonna it, you're at your own risk because there's a lot of uh, old historic th- like sites there for tourism. But it's, you're on your own there, and it's probably a good thing to like get some kind of protection while you're there. Or you well, know. a, a semi permissive is um, potentially that the country has the 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 um, it's in a fragile situation right. where the government could collapse. Where you know in Libya. There would be a week where commercial flights are coming in from Turkey mm-hmm. and or from Malta or from uh, Italy, and there's no issues. And then all of a sudden, the airport shuts down because a militia got in a gunfight on the runway, mm-hmm. and they shut down all air travel. And then one day, the government's good. The next day, the government's falling apart. And so you take the chance in a semi-permissive environment um, for things to collapse. What's, what's interesting is when... Um, Trump became the president. He shut down the entry of certain people coming from certain countries. In fact, a lot of those countries were called semi-permissive countries that didn't really have sovereign nations or governments that could really refine or filter the the amount of people and and who these people were to the country. And it's it's a no-brainer to me, and especially in national security. If a country doesn't have their shit together, we're not going to allow those people to come in. Mm-hmm. Somalia at the time, Yemen, um, a whole bunch of different countries, Libya, where you don't want these people to come in because on their side, they don't have their shit together. I know Libya specifically working with the uh, Libyan embassies, they're horrible, mm-hmm. horrible. I mean, I mean, you would literally have to pay these people off. 
I mean, just horrible. Like you would have to bribe them with incentives, not cash. I mean, we don't do that, but you'd have to essentially get in their good graces and then convince them otherwise because they didn't have a really sovereign government and their government fell apart. I mean, that's the reason we pulled out is because we could no longer protect our citizens in that country. Um, one of the things I want you to understand is that all of the things that we're talking about too are verifiable and there's a lot of resources for them. One of them is the State Department's website, um, but one of the best uh, resources it, uh, resources for it is CIA.gov. Yes, the Central Intelligence Agency provides that. It's not just a movie. CIA.gov or the State Department website that gives you the breakdown per country will tell you the status of that particular country in the planning process so you could basically get a sit a sit rep, which is a situation report on the security in that country, which for me is a start point in this. The first thing you need to do is identify whether or not the country that you're going to is friendly to the US, Canada, and Australia. Those are the main ones. And the reason I say that is because some countries uh, that are semi-permissive might say that they are friendly to the US, Canada, or Australia, but they have a whole bunch of security risks that are involved in like Libya, a whole bunch of attacks of Westerners that's not being reported by the State Departments because they don't want you to know that their country is a dangerous place. But with open source um, media, you could determine whether or not that's true or not. So uh, another example would be like Greece, which you know whose economy was collapsing and violent crime in that country was going skyrocketing, where people were getting desperate. And they were basically hijacking... Um, stealing, even kidnapping Westerners because they they were desperate for money. Uh, economic um, collapse or economic uh, you know, situations is a very good way to determine whether or not uh, a country is safe or not safe. Uh, when we were in Libya, I would consider that a semi-permissive environment. Um, I mean, me and you were able to go, you know, roll around in a State Department vehicle, mm-hmm. um, get gas at uh, gas stations. We'd go to the supermarket, sit supermarkets. down outside of a cafe, have some coffee, go to another restaurant, sit in there, and, and, it, and nothing happened. But it you just, but that's the risk you take when you're traveling in those kind of environments is, you know, it, at any time, we could have gotten shot in the face. We could have got blown up. I mean, at any moment. Yeah, that, that's the risk you take when you're going to a country like that. So. And it happened. I mean, it, it, there there were several different governments um, that were attacked prior to that in Benghazi. This is prior to 9-11, September 11 of 2012. So prior to this stuff going down, there was a ton of attacks on Westerners where they were being targeted. And there was an increase in what's called counterterrorism um, attacks where, or terrorist attacks, which is has to do in the realm of counterterrorism which we were tracking before we even infiltrated in that country. Um, so, you know, the state, it's interesting, the State Department w- w- knew this stuff was going on, but neglected to tell or advise or inform people how bad it was getting, leading up to uh, what was known as uh, September 11th of 2012 in Benghazi, which was made famous um, or made or highlighted, more importantly, um, by Hollywood in 13 Hours in Benghazi uh, with that, that whole situation, which we were, you know, we were intimately involved in in, mm-hmm. in different ways. But you know, let's talk about some tactics that I want you to uh, you guys to uh, listen to, and then uh, we'll, we'll break apart 
um, in certain instances. But these are same these are the same tactics that we utilize when we go into foreign countries that we pay attention to. The number one thing to focus on is reducing your signature. And what that means is when we're operating in certain environments, there's certain ways that you communicate yourself non-verbally to the rest of the world and what you wear, how you act, the tattoos on your arms, the headgear that you wear, even the watch and shoes that you wear are indicators of who you are. And so when we talk about reducing our signature, we don't want to go in as um, this minority or highlighting ourselves as Americans. So let's start off. Let's start off with clothing. Most people in the rest of the world do not dress like Americans dress. Like the world doesn't know what a ball cap is. Nope. <laughs> Nobody. If you go to Italy, you won't see a ball cap, a Kangol hat, a top hat anywhere in Europe. I mean, it's just it's not typically worn as headgear. Now there are all there are different versions of hiking headgear that Europeans and Germans and Swedes are used to wearing, but it's specific to uh, hiking, which is a big. Um, extracurricular activity mm-hmm. uh, in, in that part of the world. But for the most part, you know, we call it catch me, fuck me shirts. Like if you have a shirt that says like, uh, I'm an American, need a dick. Like these weird, just those like graphic tees. <laughs> like graphic tees. And grown ass men wearing Cookie Monster t-shirts. Yeah, and crush like. everything. Um, yeah. <laughs> those kind of shirts and those kind of clothes will alert to the rest of the world uh, in those environments who you are immediately. Um, my best advice is either uh, deliberately f- see what the people wear in those environments, or here's my favorite tactic: pack light. Instead of packing heavy, pack light with a with a understanding that you're going to pack heavy out. So th- this is re- very advantageous in one infiltrating into a country. Like one, I would always recommend that you never check a bag. If you check a bag, check it plain side. Remember, you're, you're allowed to carry a MERSE, a, um, a European man satchel, a laptop case, a backpack on the plane, but you're also allowed to check plane side a larger bag, which I use a North Face, uh, like a little small suitcase, that goes in the overhead bin. That is plenty for one person. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's, what, that's how you want to pack. You want a roller, right, because you want the ability to move, and then something's on, and then something's on your back. I learned this lesson several times in deploying into different environments, including Libya, including Yemen, including Pakistan, where I packed and checked a bag, and magically the bag never showed up. And remember that whole process I told you about, about like deliberately identifying who they are and then exploiting them in their foreign service or foreign intelligence service? Guess what that was? When I went into Yemen one time, my bag magically on a one-way flight, on a one-way flight, um, uh, after I checked, after I checked it overseas, landed it in Italy and then readjusted my bag. And then, uh, cause I had a, a layover, checked it in and a one way flight when I arrived at Yemen was never with me. I did the same thing when I went to Uganda. I never got my bag until like two or th- like a, probably a week later The I finally, finally we, we went back to the airport and it was there in a pile of a bunch of other bags that were just laying there, like out in the middle of like. Anyone could have went in there and grabbed it if they wanted to. Oh, yeah. And I finally got it, and I'm like, come on, this has been here for a week, and you didn't, you know, we had, they gave, I gave them the number to the hotel, you know, my cell phone for when I had one there, and 
nothing. So I had to, I, we had to actually go back to the airport to get the bag. And it was just, it was just a, you know, like you just said, it was just, it didn't feel right. Yeah. You, know? you, this, and remember, this is not a conspiracy theory. Me, me and, uh, me and George know the ins and outs of how these countries operate. If your bag disappears for an extended period of time, there could be a tracking device in your bag, a simple GSM mm-hmm. tracking device where they're tracking your movement and know exactly. Remember the whole thing I told you about resources, right? Where uh, foreign intelligence services prioritize and they can only do so much. Well, technology is how they get past that because that fills the gap of, of manned resources or manned resources. So now if I have a tracking device and I know where you're at, I could send a, an operator or a foreign, a foreign agent to your place later on to identify your, the location of where you are. And so also, we, we have this thing called sensitive site exploitation. It's basically extracting evidence and um, getting a broader uh, understanding of what's going on by searching your stuff. I imagine when I infiltrated into Yemen as a contractor, they probably took my stuff, my equipment, and then just went through it and fished through it. And I did have some tactical style equipment. That's one of the big reasons I'm about reducing your signature, including using different versions of different things in order to reduce your signature. You use anything with an NSN on it, which is uh, synonymous with a military signature, you're more than likely going to get at least questioned about it at a minimum and then raise your overall signature. So what I like to do is pack light, go into these countries with a backpack, um, and, and I don't think, I don't mean a mil spec Molly hack, yeah, nothing with, yeah, yeah. With a, uh, you know, with a tactical, like, uh, my fun meters pegged <laughs> secret squirrel, secret squirrel, <laughs> um, PVC patch. Like, don't wear any of that. Don't have Velcro. Cause that is in those countries is uh, synonymous with uh, military or, um, uh, some kind of government, uh, organization. And then when you get there, like, like Mike was saying, pack light, and you get there, like look around, see what people are wearing, and and go to like one of the department stores or something, and get, and try to blend in a little bit more. I mean, for me, I'm, I'm a big dude. I'm not blending in, but I can try and just kind of reduce my signature by, you know, wearing plain clothes and not standing out and just not looking like a target. Yeah, if I if I was going into these countries, um, and and this is the fun part of it, right? If you have a budget allocated for it, you pack in light, wear what you're wearing, have an extra set of clothing, your hygiene kit. And then when you go in, immediately go and hit the first store that you see, the outdoor store. European sizes are completely different. Like mm-hmm. an XL is like a small for me. Yeah. Um, but if you hit those stores, they are very different than American out, uh, outdoor mm-hmm. stores. Like don't think REI is um, the same uh, across the globe because it's not. Like a, cool, like a track suit in, in Europe is like SOP. That's like standard operating procedure for a lot of people, and it, and it doesn't stick out. Mm-hmm. You wear that stuff now, people will clown you. But, you know, the rest of the world operates 20 years um, behind us. Like, if you want to wear capri pants as a dude, go to Europe, man. You'll blend right in. Everybody wears Everyone capris. Everyone wears his capri pants with, like, the Tiva sandals. and Yeah, then, loafers. And, like, a button-up little shirt. That's it. Yep, that's it. You know? Yeah, and, and when you go there, what's cool is you will fit in and maybe you're uncomfortable because you're like, what am I doing? What am I wearing? But you're not standing out. And that's the key. Mm-hmm. Like I wear, I wear a ball cap. Um, I've worn a ball cap my entire military career, like a patrol cap, uh, a, a beret. And it's, it's ingrained in me. Like if I'm around the sun, that's why my face is pr- protected. I'm 30 for life. Um, but cause I'm used to doing that. But if I go over there, I'm not going to do that. Or if I do, I go in, I'll go in and get like a soccer Jersey and a freaking soccer hat. 
because if you see anything, it's European football, mm-hmm. and the re- and the entire world um, uh, wears that. Iraq, I was in Iraq in combat and ran into a whole bunch of dudes in an alleyway who had just uh, celebrated a vict- victorious uh, Iraq um, winning like uh, one of the soccer matches. And they were all in soccer jerseys. And I'm like, I didn't even know that was a big thing here. It's a big thing everywhere mm-hmm. but the United States. Um, and, and, you know, this includes accessories. This includes bags. If you infill in America and you have an Osprey bag that was bought at REI, it might identify you as an American. Because people who are targeting you know exactly what Americans wear. And, you know, outside of clothing, outside of accessories, what I w- want you to understand is that the big... Uh, ugly American exist everywhere yes, they do. in the in, in the world. If you go to a restaurant, just just be real quiet and just listen. And you know what you'll hear? The loudest people in that restaurant will be Americans. Uh, will be people that that are boasting, that are yelling, and we we work on a different octave than everybody else. It's like we're loud as shit. And it's funny because every country I've been to, you could identify those Americans. It's like don't be that guy. Um, uh, something else to think about is cover stories. Now, cover stories is something that we deliberately do in special operations because we, we want to reduce our signatures. So somebody comes up to us and they say, hey, where are you from? Well, I'm half Korean. So I can get away with saying, hey, I'm a Korean. I'm half Korean. I, I grew up in Canada. Because I don't want people, in fact, when me and George were in Libya, we didn't want people to know we were Americans. We always said we were from, from Canada. Or Australia, or England. You know, we don't have the accents, but they don't know better. And so, um, we never announce ourselves as Americans because we didn't want to be identified. Uh, because if somebody's asking you a question; they're doing so for a reason. Maybe their own personal curiosity, but maybe they're trying to check the block and go down a matrix of figuring out who you are. Have a cover story. Remember, when you're overseas, um, what happens in those uh, foreign countries stays in those foreign yes, countries. It does. If you want to be a dolphin trainer from New Zealand, um, be a dolphin trainer from New Zealand. But at the same time, if you're going to say that, do some research and know about some dolphin training or something, whatever you say. Have a little backstop to where you can, you know, you get to a point where you're like, okay, I don't know anything more. And just change the subject or do something. But learn, if you're going to go to a country and you don't want anybody to know that you're American, do some research and, and have some knowledge of whatever you Tell them that uh, that you that you are. Yeah, and you can make it fun. Look, I, I, you don't have to remember. This is you're not doing anything nefarious, and there's nothing illegal about creating a cover story. You know, when you're when you're getting questioned by um, actual government um, or actual officials from that country, that's not the time and place. You're not like I'm a dolphin trainer from Canada. They're like, <laughs> let me see your passport. Like, oh, oh yeah, I'm lying. I'm a I'm a special forces guy operating to go over there your government. So you want to create a cover story with your family, and you can make it a fun thing. It's like, hey, hey guys, we're all from Austria, you know? We all have the accents, right? Uh, until you run into an Austrian uh, <laughs> uh, couple that, yeah, we're from Austria. You, you want a good cover story because um, you want the ability to flex into that story if you get potentially questioned by somebody who's looking to, to exploit you for wrong reasons. And fitting your cover store, like George said, fitting into that and educating yourself is very, very, very important. Because the worst thing that could happen beyond, um, you know, being tracked by a foreign service or intelligence service is being caught in a lie in uh, the exploitation of unwinding your cover story. 
what we do is, you know, if we're looking for cover, you want to know the, the basics. Who am I? Where am I from? From? What do I do for a living? How long have I been doing that for a living? And then some maybe, because uh, remember, you could always default to deflect that conversation away from you. But if you start getting layers deep, you should be able to peel back the onions a few layers. The more comprehensive you are, the better off you'll be to an extent, right? You want to be able to say, hey, yeah, I, you know, I, I work with dolphins and then have some basic knowledge of dolphins. And then uh, if somebody asks you like, you know, how did you get there? Or how did you do that? Understand kind of like the, uh, the course of action of how people uh, navigate into those positions. Like, hey, I'm a marine biologist. And be prepared to answer basic questions or default and then become more vague about uh, your situation so you could deflect and get away from that conversation. Remember, we're just trying to survive the first interactions with people who might be bad guys who are asking us questions to be able to identify who we are. And that's how you reduce your overall signature. And remember, uh, adaptability or conforming to the culture is a part of the overall experience. But if you don't do that, you could put yourself in a really bad situation where you stand out for the wrong reasons. All right, moving on to situational awareness. Situational awareness is something that we're taught in special operations. A lot of it is, is, is vague. It's, there's not specific tactics. I've been to, like JSOC sent me to the cover course. I've been to like a whole bunch of high-speed schools that have taught me a whole bunch of deliberate tactics. But in civilian life, what does that mean? What does situational awareness mean? Uh, George, what does that mean to you? To me, it's, you know, know your surroundings. Like when you get somewhere, don't just rush through and, and not and not look around. Look around. Look around your environment. Look around who's there. Look around what people are doing, how people are moving, the busyness of it. You know, if you're in a very busy place, look at what's going on. Stop and take a breath. Take a seat at a cafe. Have a cup of coffee. And just sit mm-hmm. there and... Take in the environment. Yeah, just take in the environment and listen to the noises, the sounds, uh, the smells. I mean... Get immersed in that and, and just look at it and keep your head on the swivel so you know, like, okay, I'm going to get up and go, but let me make sure I have everything, you know, make sure you have all your stuff and don't, and I know people are traveling, they're, tur- you know, they're tourists, they have their cameras, they have, you know, they're, they're fumbling through their wallet because they, they bought the waist belt that they can hide all their stuff in, just stuff like that. You just kind of stick out, you know, have a plan, have, have some security on you, have some, you know, use it, get a front pocket wallet if you're, if you're a guy, you know, just those things alone will make your situational awareness a lot better when you're traveling. Just, you know, know your environment, do your research on where you're going. Look at a map. I love going on Google maps, wherever I'm at and getting an overhead view of where I'm staying, what's around there, the closest hospital, the closest police station. Um, just, you know, know where the embassy's at at all times, you know, know where your hotel is at on the map and just, have that screenshot of that, you know, that bird's eye view of, of, of where you're going to be traveling. And just those, those little things will prepare you and just help you out. And if, if anything goes down, if, and if not, you just, it makes you a better person and more, and more prepared in that situation. Yeah. The first thing you need to do is when you infill into the country, let's say you get home, you get to your country at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. When you get there, get some sleep, get some rest, wake up, get re, um, uh, adapted to that, uh, that timeline change. Right. And then spend the first day as a as a um, SOP. The first day should be a reconnaissance day. It's a recon day. It's 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 the day that you spend it only looking at your environment, assessing your cult, the culture, and then blending into that environment. Like like George said, some deliberate tactics are one use 
your hotel room or use where you're staying as a base of operation and then start building centric circles outside of that base to know what's outside of your room. Know what's down the hall. Know what's in the in the foyer of that place that you're staying. Knowing what's across the street. Start identifying routes. Start getting familiar with the uh, the the lay of the land. And then, uh, most importantly, what George said was identify where the embassy is. Remember, the embassy is a um, is a separate sovereign nation, right? And the, and the borders of those walls of that embassy actually uh, protect you. Uh, legally speaking, uh, not necessarily physically speaking, but they protect you. So if something does go wrong, that is a safe site or a safe house for you to be able to retreat to. Know where it's at. Spend that entire day building that template either in your mind or physically on paper, like literally laying out a range card and determining what you're, where you're at, uh, um, everything around you, all the atmospherics, and then disseminating that information to your family. That's very important. And like George said, sit down and take time to take it all in. You're not just taking it all in because uh, you want to experience the culture, but you're also doing that to remain secure. It doesn't have to be like a, a scary, anxious thing. It could be a part of your your protocol, protocol that allows you the freedom of, um, because you, you're not anxious to be able to go around and experience everything uh, that's there to offer without worrying about if something potentially does go wrong. Um, uh, intel, we allowed that out. There's a lot of intel and information that you could collect uh, prior to that. That's called the internet. Hit Google, um, start saturation, uh, saturating yourself with that information. Also, cover tattoos. Um the majority of the the rest of the world understands what tattoos are, but in their countries, a lot of their countries, tattoos means that you're like a criminal or that you're a felon um, or that you've been to prison. And so you don't want to um, have people identify you in that way. And it, it's going to detract from your experience, but also uh, make you stand out. So maybe potentially cover your tattoos. Um, also... Um, the, the uh, CIA.gov, right? You're getting this information and start start archiving that information. One of the things that we talk about in archive, archiving the situations is offline maps. Remember, your phone is not going to potentially operate depending on the phone carrier or the company carrier that you have. You have to have an unlocked GSM. Most of the world operates on a GSM network. Uh, the, in the United States, depending on what phone you have, like for example, Verizon works off a of CDMA, which means you don't have a SIM card to be able to swap into that phone. But if you have, if you have an unlocked GSM card or GSM phone, which you could buy when you hit the ground, you could literally hit the ground, get uh, uh, a SIM card and get uh, minutes that you buy and then have a phone that's working off that network. Yep. So you don't have to depend on a another alternative network that's working. You could depend on the local network for data and for voice and text. Yeah, and it will save you money because you know I have AT and T, and when I was in Australia last year, I got the uh, international plan. It was and it was not it was not worth it. So, like Mike said, unlock phone, put the SIM card in, pay fifty dollars, and you you'll be covered for your whole trip. Yeah, and I, I also want you to think about something because this is contrary to what we teach. I don't like crowds. I'm not a fan of crowds. I, I don't like them. But when you're overseas, being part of a crowd is how you remain safe. But you have to imagine that the hurting, right, the hurting of people uh, in tourism 
is a, a commerce benefit for those countries. So there's some uh, benefit to being in that place because the state, the government is going to protect that because tourism is a big commerce consideration for those countries' survival. Well, if you're outside of that, say you're the outlier, say you're like, I'm going to go hit the hills in Morocco. Well, you, you guys have heard the story of the two females that were just killed by ISIS affiliates that beheaded these girls after they brutally raped and, and uh, beat them um, because they went off the grid. And so they're outliers. They stand out. And this leads me to the next point, which is sourcing reliable facilitators. When me and George go into countries, we have facilitators lined up. They could be translators. They could be tourism experts. They could be just people who understand the terrain. Find a reliable company that has reliable people that are going to facilitate your objectives in that country. If tourism is, a, is, is an objective, having somebody local who speaks the language who could facilitate that movement, facilitate engagement, facilitate if something goes wrong is very important in order to survive. Uh, you know, us operating all over the world, we had translators with us. Imagine doing what we did and not having any translators. God, we wouldn't get anything done. We wouldn't get anything done. Be pointing and grunting and yeah, opening grunting. a little dictionary up trying to figure out what to say. So. We would be frustrated. But you know, if, if you're going to stay there and you're looking for the experience and you can afford it, link up with a travel agency that has facilitators that could facilitate your movement. These potentially, as long as it's a legitimate country, potentially, uh, or a legitimate company, uh, will set you up for success. And... Uh, understand the culture, understand the custom, customs and courtesies of that country. Because a lot of things that we think are normal in our environments are not normal. And then you, you run the risk of insulting somebody, pissing somebody off, and they come back to retaliate over a miscommunication and nonverbal communication. You know, you could be, uh, uh, you know, you, you could shake somebody's hand in, in the wrong country, and that's not how they do it. You know, you can give a woman a hug uh, in a certain country thinking that you're greeting her and then they take offense because it's uh, completely against their culture, their religion, and it could set you up for failure. Uh, also, I, I like to put out to avoid hostels. Hostels yeah. are a, are a uh, proving ground for terrorism tactics and identifying, uh, number one, you know, who's the target, but you are very vulnerable when you're amongst a whole bunch of people who, you know, are trying to gain the experience but aren't, um, you know, don't necessarily want to communicate to other people. So they're backpacking. They're off by, their, by themselves. They don't have security. They're not thinking about, um, you know, working with an enabler or with a, a company. That could put you in a precarious situation. In fact, doing some research on this, most of the stories that I found that were really bad stories of people getting killed – had to do with the affiliation or, or them tied to a hostel. A lot of these organizations or non-organizations that were targeting these people were doing so through hostels. And what what is a hostel? To me, it's just a, a it's kind of like a semi-hotel, but it's like you share rooms with other people you don't know, and it's like a it's like a whole community type environment, like a communal, you know, you. You stay in a room with like four other people, and then you know the bathroom's down the hall. So it's like kind of like a shared uh, hotel kind of thing. Yeah, it's just like a um, 
Uh, it's like a group home. Where, yeah, basically, you know, yeah. yeah. I, to me, I'm never stayed in a hostel. It's just not my thing. I mean, I like that's to be comfortable, thing. man. I want to be comfortable in a hotel. Like, I will spend the extra money for a hotel and and be comfortable. Some, somewhere I can go when I'm done out exploring and sightseeing. I can come back to my hotel, kick off my shoes, kick off my pants, and just, you know, just let it hang out there. I'll you kick know? it off just, your pants. Yeah, so you just got a t-shirt on? Yeah, just t-shirt T-shirt on. and panties? <laughs> All right, man. All right. Okay. You got your shoes on? No, shoes are off. Uh, shoes got are my off. socks on, though. Okay, your socks. Okay, yeah. tube socks? What color socks? <laughs> We digress, man. My brain. So, uh, um, also, in d- another tactic is developing patterns. Look, you want as a tourist to develop a pattern, and these patterns are typical to tourists. When you deviate away from that pattern, you stand out. Another thing is um, on on the flip side of that, if you're developing a pattern by yourself and you could easily easily be exploited, believe that somebody out there is potentially going to exploit that. Uh, there's something called an SDR. I learned it when I worked um, in the military and in the government. It's called surveillance detection route. Now, look, I'm not going to go down a rabbit hole because one, uh, some of the methods that uh, uh, that I've learned in SDRs are classified, but I, here's what I'll tell you. There are specific ways to identify if somebody's following you. The only thing you have to do is remember that if you're trying to figure out if somebody's following you, then you need to take routes that aren't typical through different uh, corridors. Meaning, if you go through a bookstore, right? If you, if, if you think somebody's following you and you're walking on the road and you walk into the entrance of a bookstore, well, in order for them to follow you, um, they either have to come into the bookstore with you or they have to wait outside for you to come out. Well, if you come out the backside of that bookstore, right? Uh, and you and you take an alternate route that's not that's not on your standard pattern of life. You could flush out or get rid of the people who are following you or identify who they are. Now, uh, taking left, taking rights, taking turns is critical in a surveillance detection route. But also going into funnels where you go into one uh, spot and then you go out to another. Uh, these are easy ways to identify if somebody is potentially following you. If you're in a public area, find a public restroom. If you see them, uh, you go into a public restroom and you come out and you still see them, there's a potential that they're following you because uh, if you go into a a restroom, somebody who's not in the restroom because they're not using the restroom isn't just going to sit around and wait. That's not natural. So understand, you can Google it, understand what an SDR is, different tactics and methods, and employ it when you have to. Like if, I, like if uh, I'm in a foreign country and I don't want people to identify where I live, then I'm going to do an SDR prior to me getting to my hotel. And it might just be, hey, I'm going to go off the grid a little bit and just do a lot of movement. And I might walk around a lot. I might take a train. I might take a sub. I might take a bus out of the way to flush and make sure that nobody's following me and then identify if there's anybody in front of my hotel that might potentially see me and then SDR and all the way to where uh, the point in which I go into my room. I mean, if you go in your room and you look left and you look right, that's a simple way to determine whether or not somebody's following you. If you look right and there's the same dude that was there the day before and he's looking down the hall and trying to play it off like he's not there, that could be potentially surveillance that's watching you from a foreign service or a counterterrorism perspective, um, a CT perspective of somebody who's trying to potentially attack you. Um, So pay attention. Pay attention. All right, so next I'm going to break down the equipment. We're going to talk about some equipment that is a staple, and we'll go down the list, but one, survival and med. Uh, survival are the staples of survival, which is water, right? Primarily water. Um, listen, 
If you are in a foreign country and you have a and you don't have a water bottle, get a water bottle. You need the ability to retain or contain water and also purify it. The be, the best way to get giardia in a foreign country is drink water out of a faucet. One sliver, a micro sliver, uh, which is a, a, a you know a molecule of of, of poop. Uh, could literally, or bacteria, can literally uh, create giardia, which is the most common travel bug that you can get, uh, where you have diarrhea, you have, uh, you're vomiting, you're sick. Dilute and purify all the water that you drink that doesn't come out of a bottle um, and have it, uh, the ability in a Nalgene bottle or a plastic container to contain that water or stainless steel container and have water on the go, no matter where you go. And I know that, uh, was it Life Straw? They yep. sell uh, a thing now you can put in your water bottle now and it, you know, same thing as when you just get the Life Straw itself. So it, it will clean that water and, and save, make it safe. How many times have you had the poopy guts in foreign <sighs> countries? God, it, a, a lot. Yeah. I mean, and it just takes one little thing to get in your system. And yeah. That's it. I mean, I remember in Libya, I was down for like three days. I mean, I remember that. I could not get away from pooping the bathroom. Pooping your pants. Pooping. I, sweating to where yeah. sweat was dripping down and just on the floor, like going into the drain. Like, that's how yeah. bad it was. It was terrible. You have to understand that in foreign countries, the microbiome that's in your gut is different than the microbiome in, in foreign people's guts. Like if, if when I used to eat with the Iraqis, right, I would go over and eat uh, uh, chicken kebabs and we sit down and I'm like, oh yeah, chicken kebabs. I eat it and just a little bit of the bacteria that's in, in, in their diet would immediately shut me down. And I've been, the sickest I've ever been is in Iraq and I lost 30 pounds in a couple weeks um, and I couldn't keep anything down. I was puking, I was mm. crapping. It was, it was a horrible experience. Remember, if you are... Traveling to a foreign country, uh, you have to be able to purify your water, and you you absolutely have to have the ability to sanitize your hands. Hand sanitizer, you cannot get enough of that. When you shake somebody's hands uh, in foreign countries, their hygiene uh, levels the are not the same as, as our, ours are. Um, also, in addition to that, the ability to start fire. Look, if you can procure a lighter off the... Uh, Local economy, which is typical because most foreign uh, uh, countries, people smoke. They chain smoke furiously. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of smoking. A lot of smoking. Uh, get a lighter or get, and then travel with your Philcraft Minimalist Survival Kit and have the ability to have a ferro rod on hand, uh, which is a, obviously a fire starter to be able to fire, uh, start a fire. Also, um, med. At a minimum, you need to carry with you a tourniquet for every member of your family. In addition to that, you need to carry meds. There are certain meds that you need to uh, pay attention to. One of them is the anti-diarrhea uh, uh, medicine, potentially. You might be traveling in the middle of moving and traveling, and you don't have the ability to stop. They say, hey, if you got diarrhea, it's a good thing. Well, that's good when you're... Um, you're, you're static and you're in a hotel room or you're at your home. But if you're mobile and you're on a train, a bus, an automobile, it's not so good. So you might need some Imodium D um, to stop that. I, would re I recommend also carrying ibuprofen for just basic pain uh, management. Um, and more importantly than that, antibiotics. Antibiotics. Whether it's um, zithromycin, um, whether it's a, like it, which is typically found in a Z, Z pack or penicillin. 
Now, if you're like me, you you don't have the ability to get those over the counter. It's not something that's uh, often uh, that you'll ever find in the United States. But what's crazy, um, the rest of the world doesn't operate that way. If you go to a standard, typical pharmacy in a foreign country, you could walk in there and say, I want penicillin, and they'll pull it off the shelf. The cool thing about this is it's not illegal for you to do so. So you can go into these places, get the meds that you need for travel, retain them, and now you always have these meds on hand. A antibiotic is a is a number one consideration in a foreign country, especially with sustained travel. We've done a lot, right? I mean, me and you have. Oh, yeah. You know, whether- I mean, I've been Korea, Thailand, Japan, Australia. I mean, all over the place. Italy. You're all over Europe. So, I mean, I've encountered a lot of different people, different cultures, and just different way of a different way of life. And anywhere I went, if I got sick, I was able to go into that that grocery store, the grocery store, the uh, the pharmacy, and get medicine that I could use to, you know. Just to get get a get that initial stomach bug or diarrhea and get it stopped, where I can just you know enjoy the rest of my trip. So, uh, in addition to that, for communications, um, look when you when you when you're in a foreign country, you have the option to buy a phone off the local economy. Most phones uh, are are Vonophone. They're they're Chinese made uh, Samsung or they're Samsungs or they're Chinese made Nokia's. Um, but they are GSM-based phones that work off low economy. There is, remember, if you use that phone and you're using it off their network, there is a chance of exploitation. It's an easy way to exploit where you're at. If you have a, a phone and you're paying for that phone uh, in, the Amer- in America off AT&T, Verizon, or whatever it may be, more than likely you don't have the ability to unlock that phone. You have to have an unlocked phone in order to drop a SIM card into your phone. I recommend, if you can, pay your phone off and unlock it so you have the ability to use it in foreign travel. So now when you hit the ground, you go and buy a local GSM SIM card, you insert that SIM card, and then you you upload it with minutes, and now you're able... I mean, people could show you. They're used to doing it. In these shops, they could show you how to upload the minutes. And now, hell, when I was in... Um, uh, was it Libya? Yeah, Libya. Mm-hmm. Well, I had I had a local phone off the local network, and we were able to do everything you would do on a normal phone. I would highly recommend that um, uh, you not, if you do buy a phone off the local economy, not log into your social media and risk being uh, exploited on those platforms. But GSM is how the world operates. And so when you're depending on a piggyback of an agreement handshake between your um, uh, phone service provider and another country's, it's hit or miss. And so like when I went to Africa, I bought one off a local economy, like a, you know, a $20 Nokia, um, and then, and hooked it up and then had the ability to use it reliably in that country. Um, and then, you know, if you could download other text, uh, uh, texting apps, that would be advantageous too. And then have a plan to be able to communicate outside of that country to other, other places. Um, also a consideration is Iridium or SAT, uh, a SAT capability. Remember, satellite phones don't operate off of towers. So let's say the infrastructure collapsed, depending on the country you're in. We had we had uh, sat phones in Michigan, right? Yep. Yeah, we had sat phones. I think we had Thoraya yep. uh, or Began, Thoraya or Began sat phones, and you're able to communicate to anybody in the world. And sat phones are very inexpensive uh, overseas. I mean, you can, you can mess around and get like a really sexy, cool phone for $1,000, or you can get 
you know, I lost those phones in Libya. Did you? Yeah, I lost them all, man. <laughs> um, but you can get some uh, high-speed uh, phones that are, are allow you to do uh, SAT where it's directly, you, know, you extend the antenna and... You know, I've been in Afghanistan in a fire base in the middle of nowhere talking to my mom on yep. the top of a, a building uh, with, with a sat Those phone. were the good old days. Those are the good old days. Those things that like zero, 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 like yeah. it's all <laughs> secret coded and stuff. Um, but uh, I recommend using a sat phone because it's a, it's a peace of mind and having the number to the embassy programmed into that sat phone. Um, having the number to loved ones programmed into those phones and then doing combo checks with them, opening the phone up, seeing who you're talking to. And now there's in spots, there's, um, there's all these different companies now that are selling these tracking devices. One thing I did in Libya, um, and I had the fortunate, um, obviously the fortunate job of being a, a government contractor, making lots of money. I had a Breitling emergency, which is a watch where you can extend a antenna and when you extended the antenna, it activated the oh. the, the emergency uh, SOS response, which I believe is 101.5 or something like that, 95 point something, which basically means that uh, any airplane that's flying in the area will hear that as, as a beacon call or distress call, and they have, by law, have to notify um, emergency responders, to international emergency responders. What's crazy, if you accidentally do that, it's like a $2,000 fine. Damn. Yeah. But it, it, but it was super squared away. But that's kind of how deliberate you have to think about your emergency-type uh, situations. Um, uh, another thing is uh, pre-designation. And I already t- we talked about this, so I won't beat a dead horse. But safe places, hospitals, expatriates. Remember, every country that you go into, there is a community of expatriates who have basically renounced their citizenship and they live in these foreign countries. But they're American. And it, when you're looking at um, uh, a network and you're looking at potentially having a contingency if something goes bad, people are going to be able to facilitate something happening. So doing your homework, your due diligence, looking for people in, in those countries uh, on Facebook, talk to those groups, get in tune with them, but also understanding that they'd be targeting you. Um, but know that uh, if you build a network, you're, you're protecting the sanctity of your safety and your family's safety with reliable people that you could vet, you know, through the process. I remember when I was in uh, Berlin getting passports for, or visas so that could travel when I was in, over in Germany, South Africa, uh, you know, you had to go over there and it would be like three or four days before you can get, you know, your, your visa stamp. But it, I ran into a couple of expats and they were, they were cool as hell. They were like, is this your first time? I was like, oh no, it's my second time, but it's my first time in the, in I think it was in West Berlin or something like that. But they gave me all the spots to go to, what to see, where to go. So it was like, oh, it was, it was real cool. And it was like, it was nice to like talk to somebody like that knew the area and they were, you know. Well, it gives you that peace of mind too. I mean, when you have, when you have people who are from your culture who understand exactly where you're coming from, that's an additional peace of mind. And we built that, those networks. Like when we were in mm-hmm. Libya, having those networks and having those people on hand were important. Like the regional security officer for the embassy. We had that dude on oh, speed yeah. dial. Um Something to also think about is uh, have an RFID uh, capability to block out the exploitation of your information on your credit cards. A lot of credit cards now are running um, some kind of uh, microchip or uh, a processor that has captured all your information. And there's people in those countries that's whole job is to exploit that from your uh, wallet. 
I have an RFID block, which is basically a copper line wallet, but you can get them online. Just Google mm-hmm. Faraday bags or RFID block and you uh, get wallets. Just, if you don't want to spend that money, you can get those little sleeves. You can put your cards in, whatever it is. Yeah, it's inexpensive. Yeah. That's Faraday, those that's, Faraday bags are... That's one thing to have is RFID because you're going to be overseas and your shit gets uh, you know, compromised and you have no money. And that's going to be a hard one to get, you know, that's, it's a hard thing to do to get that money back while you're overseas. So, yep. 100%. And, and, uh, it happens, man. The number one, uh, uh, crime committed overseas is on your identity and on your money. Um, self-defense, how do you get around self-defense laws? The, the question should be, but, uh, I've only had one cut co- when I was a contractor, I used to uh, fly with a tactical pen and I like a better term. It's just known as a tactical pen. It's basically a rigid pen that could be used as a puncturing or stabbing device to be able to defend your life. And they work. I mean, they're, they, I've used them in training courses, excuse me, training courses where you could puncture flesh and defend your life. with one of these things, um, I was in, I can't remember. I think it was Austria flying through Austria or something like that. And the people in security said I couldn't have it. And I'm like, that's like a $75 pin. I'm like, why can't I have that? Like, sorry, you, you, we can't, you can't, we can't uh, have that pin. And it's the first time that I've ever been compromised with that <laughs> pin. But uh, you can get different versions. I recommend a version of it where one side of it is basically a stabbing device. The other side is a pin. So it just looks sharp. And then keep it in your backpack. Keep it with your notebook. Um, if somebody asks you what it is, hey, it's a pin. That's, mm-hmm. There's no question to ask. But having something is better than nothing. Remember, there's always stories of people getting rolled up by local officials looking for a reason to roll people up. And uh, if you go into that country with an expectation like, oh, knives are legal, so I'm going to go buy a knife, you might not fall into the same legal category as a, as a citizen of that country. It's not worth the risk. You don't need to pick up mace. You don't need to pick up a gun. You don't need to pick up anything. Um, but uh, that's why flipping this on its head, having situation awareness and doing the right thing uh, in the tactics we're talking about will set you up for uh, success and mitigate risk, uh, physical risk, uh, before it happens. Uh, the next thing is currency. Uh, it's actually the last thing when talking about currency. Look, you have to have money to be able to operate. Money is not only important in, in facilitating your travel, but also facilitating your survival. People operate with money. Uh, I remember wondering why Green Berets were always known for having Rolex watches. And and I've only known two uh, SF dudes that have Rolex watches because they couldn't afford, you can't afford Rolex watch. But I always wondered kind of like the story behind that. And what it is, is the reason that they were they wore Rolex watches in World War II, the OSS did, is because it was a bartering device, right? It was a, it was a way to be able to barter. In fact, there's reasons why early on OGA, other government organizations, and special operations used gold, and they used Mm -hmm. uh, watches to be able to barter to get through checkpoints. I mean, worst case scenario, you got surrounded by somebody like, hey, we're not letting you pass. You got money. I don't have any money. Well, I do have this gold Rolex, or I do have this Rolex watch, or I do have this gold coin, which would facilitate movement. Those, every single country I've been to, every single one, operates off of a bartering system mm-hmm. full of corruption. Full oh, yeah. of corruption. Uh, that's how they're incentivized. Like if you if you get pulled over in like let's say Ukraine for example and they find out you're American, you're paying something. Like 
the corruption within the cops or in the police force is it's crazy. And and, and this idea that you're just going to be like that's that's not what we do. Uh, that's what you're going to yeah. do if you want to get through a checkpoint. And you know they're not they're not being corrupt because their police department is being corrupt. No, they're being corrupt because they need the money to support their families because they don't get paid anything really over there. So, I mean, I'm not speaking for every, you know, policeman or anything like that, but the majority of corruption is, you know, it's going to happen if you get pulled over. I'm, I'm just going to just be prepared for it if it happens. Absolutely. You have to be prepared for it. And the idea is, one, you carry an adequate amount of cash on hand. And being smart about it. You know, you don't want to carry $10,000 worth of cash, but you want to have an adequate amount of cash which is overseas at Swanee, we call it monopoly money because it doesn't mm-hmm. seem real. Um, but also, you want the ability, the reliable confirmation that you can extract money reliably where you're at, which is why I like hotels. If you're at a hotel and it's got a reputable name, more than likely they have good ATMs and good currency exchange so you can get the money. You go into like a hodgepodge hostel that has an ATM sit- sitting up, it could literally be a front or in a way to take all your information and then steal your money. Um, and what are you going to do? You're going to go to call the ATM 24-hour hotline because they took your money. You're just asked out. Mm-hmm. And so having money, having the ability, whether it's uh, – I'm not saying you have to carry around gold bullion to be able to survive. <laughs> but having the ability to barter and understanding that culture is very important uh, in overseas travel. Uh, man, that's a lot of stuff, dude. It, you know, and the, and the last thing I think we're trying to get across, we're not here to – we're not scaring anybody or putting fear in anybody. You know, go enjoy your trip. Enjoy – the culture, go out and sightsee, get, get that experience, that adventure, whatever you want to call it. But you know, we, we're just giving you what we've been through the facts and just be aware of what's going on. So, you know, go out and travel, be that tourist, have fun, experience life, experience other cultures. It's great. Trust me. I've been all around. I got to experience a lot of cultures and it's, it's made me a better person and it's made me more, um, grateful of where I live in, in the United States. So, yeah, uh, it's freedom. Yeah. Uh, you know, when we talk about freedom and talk about preparedness, preparedness is freedom. Uh, when you're prepared and you don't, and you understand the big picture, and you do all the small things that are necessary mm-hmm. to prepare, that's what freedom is. Now you can go out and enjoy yourself. Oh yeah, um, because you know you're not going to be a victim. Yep. Um, you know you're not going to be set up for success or, or set up for failure potentially. Um, yeah, I remember uh, going into Rota, Spain, and traveling Spain all over the place, which is very friendly to the United States. We had a one of our support kids on the way into the gate after a, a night of just hanging out and drinking, nothing crazy. He got in a physical confrontation with a police officer at the gate because it, it's it, the gates are guarded by Spanish police, and they put him in jail. And a year later, when I deployed again to Iraq. On the way through, he was still there. Jesus. So he got prosecuted, got charged, and part of his punishment, they kept him re- confined to the base. Ugh. It's like, Damn. oh my, you're talking about losing your freedom. Yeah. You're talking about like being in a weird conundrum where you like lose everything. Remember those stories of like uh, people going through and then getting rolled up and then getting uh, pulled into secondary, getting interrogated, even thrown in prison because of wrong identity or just, you know, people put cocaine in their bags, that stuff happens. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not very difficult to, uh, to get to that level of, uh, of, of failure in overseas travel. So just be prepared and, and, and stay ahead of it, and uh, I think you'll be okay. Hopefully, hopefully that was beneficial for you guys. We got a lot of stuff going on in Philcraft Survival oh, yeah. coming up. 
next weekend, our expo, we had, uh, on May 4th, we have a free expo here in Prescott, Arizona, here um, in the shop that we're in right now. A uh, three-hour expo tells you all about survival preparedness and all the things you need to, to prepare yourself and your family. Um, that would be free to the public. You guys can sign up at philcraftsurvival.com. Also, we got uh, 25 May. We got what do we got going on? Combatives. We got combatives on 25 May, and then uh, the next day we have uh, the gunfighter pistol up at the Chino Valley Range. Awesome, awesome. And then uh, Wyoming on June 1st and 2nd. Look, yeah. this is our one of our first trips into Wyoming. I actually was going to uh, go to WyoTech at Lindermay, Wyoming, and be a, a hot rod technician because <laughs> uh, I bought into That's the cool. commercials. Um, but, uh, we're going to be in Wyoming and, uh, you guys could sign up, but it's going to be pistol and carbine and really excited because the weather should be good. Oh yeah. It's going to be beautiful. First opportunity, uh, out the box out there. I'll be going to that one. We're, we're probably going to be flying into Denver, it's picking a up a truck, two hour drive and then driving uh, a couple hours North. So it's going to be a great time. Looking forward to that. Hey guys, we also have our, uh, modular advisor panel and our minimal, minimalist survival kits. If you're interested in survival and you're interested in equipment, Look, our big thing is if we're providing the equipment, we need a way to contain it and a way to access it in the worst situations possible. So we have the module visor panel that goes on the visor or headrest of your vehicle where you can carry your basic hemorrhaging response kit, which is a kit that we sell uh, that we developed with North American Rescue, the most reputable name in uh, medical supplies and equipment. And uh, the, the BHRK and the CAT tourniquet can be attached to the module visor panel. That's available on fieldcraftsurvival.com. Also, we sell the minimalist survival kit. All the stuff that we talked about today. If you guys are interested in having kit that's ready to go, that you literally take and throw inside your merch, your backpack, uh, whatever you're carrying, and have uh, all the staples of survival, then look at the minimalist survival kit. It is made for overseas travel, minus the multi-tool that's in it. You could travel with it anywhere. There's mm -hmm. no weapons. There's nothing but it meets all the demands of all the minimalist survival uh, standard, which is fire, water, uh, signal, uh, and uh, shelter. And, the, you know, if, you, if you're looking for overseas international travel and you're looking for a kit, definitely check out the Philcraft Minimalist Survival Kit on philcraftsurvival.com. You got anything, George? Uh, I don't. I just, uh, you know, just visit the website, check out our training, check out our equipment. You know, we have hats, T-shirts, all that stuff. If you want to support Philcraft and, and you know, and just – you want a great t-shirt I, I love my i wear a fieldcraft t-shirt every day to work so and you can ask you're mike like a smurf man i'm just that guy you're just i'm that guy too i'm you wearing know? a um, truck ball shirt <laughs> i'm wearing a truck ball shirt um all right guys hey i appreciate you guys tuning in and hopefully you got something on this podcast until next time we see you stay alert stay alive later guys